Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Outkick 360 across the Outkick network. Alongside Chad Withrow and Paul Koharski, I'm Jonathan Hutton. We are live from 6th and Peabody Studios with old smoky moonshine, yeehaw beer. Glad you're with us as well, wherever you're watching this afternoon across the network. And if you're listening on your drive home on the podcast, a quick reminder, you can download our show wherever you get your podcast. Just search out Outkick 360. A lot coming up over the next hour uh, for the Tennessee Hour. Specifically, we'll discuss Tennesseans on the Vols roster that are crucial to the Vols' success right now and moving forward. We'll get into that and, and much more. We start, though, with the Tennessee Titans, uh, where, Paul, I'm, I'm hearing that there are more and more uh, people coming out onto the practice field today um, with masks. So they, they've either upped their protocols or this is a protocol for what would be assumed to be close contacts for fully vaccinated individuals uh, within the organization. Uh, the only way it was described to me was it is clear they have upped and amped up uh, the precautions uh, with uh, Vrabel uh, testing positive for COVID on Sunday morning. Uh, any news out of that, by the way? Do we know if he's tested negative yet? We do not know. Uh, Todd Downing will speak today. Uh, I'm sure we will ask him about uh, for a variable update. Hopefully he will all offer something. Um, I, I think, you know, I was discussing this yesterday with some people because, like, uh, it's 15 minutes of close contact that qualifies as, as contact, right? We don't know Brady's vaccination status. Vrabel and Brady spent a lot of time together, say, on Thursday at the end of practice. We don't know if, Vrabel's, uh, if, if Brady's vaccinated or not. But also, if I'm talking to you like this for 15 minutes, but I break away from the distance somewhere in the middle of that 15, the clock restarts. Right. And and he probably did. But also Vrabel didn't test positive until Sunday, Sunday morning. Yeah. And this was Thursday. So that's probably too far back that that doesn't that doesn't count. Don't know. I, I know. Um, I know it like, for instance, at the team hotel, everyone inside the team hotel wears masks. Um, they have to wear these trackers. They, they had to wear the trackers at the team hotel. They had to wear the trackers on in, in route to the practice facility for the Bucks. Um, this goes for all staff members, not just the players. And, and once you get back into the, the hotel, you had to go turn your, your tracker in, and then the next morning you would go pick it up again and it would reset. You know, I, I'm saying like at, at, uh, at whenever you go to bed. Right. Right. Bed check. Uh, bed, bed check or whatever it might be. Yeah. So you go back to your room. So they're monitoring more than just what was going on at the practice facility for the bus. They're not out of the woods. Is it only unvaccinated of- wearing masks? At practice? Well, it or was. Or if you're vaccinated, you I, also have I, to wear a mask. No, not you do not. But I was told there are a number of players that came outside today wearing masks, which tells me that they have either upped the protocol in the building internally or as a part of this close contact, fully vaccinated rule, which, by the way, you, if you're fully vaccinated 
and you're a close contact with Vrabel, changes and you're asymptomatic, asymptomatic, it changes nothing. You go out to practice, you play in the game, it, it, you go about your day. So and I, I wonder if that's part of this, or if it is just as simple as, hey, we, we have a positive case, Let's, we're, we're going to wear masks indoors. Well, let's put it this way, though, right? What you're describing is entirely accurate. But those vaccinated people who don't have any symptoms could conceivably have virus. We don't know could. about shedding virus. So if you want to be extremely safe, you would put everybody in masks to, to protect the unvaccinated guys which is a big argument about not having vaccinations. Vaccinated guys have to act safely now to protect the unvaccinated guys. Titans are at 90%, the most recent report is. Um, and the number, I don't know about the number of unvaccinated, but the roster number dwindles today, gets down to 80 today. I think they're at 82, maybe 84. Um, that gets down to 80 today, and we're heading towards 53, obviously. Um, so it'd be interesting to see if masks go on as they leave the practice field today. Yeah. Um, we've got four Again, just a, it was just a quick Tannehill observation that was sent to me. Uh, Tannehill will talk at the podium today as well as Downey. Um, Julio Jones was on a side field doing some work with Dane Crookshank yesterday. Which shouldn't have been reported. Um, well, we, we saw that. And um, so I'm mentioning it here. No, that's fine for us um, to report somebody reporting, but they shouldn't have reported I, uh, it. Who reported it? I don't know. I don't forget who it was. I, I mean, I've got a hashtag Titans thing on my tweet deck. How do you I, keep I, straight everything that you're supposed to, not well, supposed to report? Side, side field works off. Okay. Well, so he's working on side field. And uh, that, that may, I wonder how close that means he's back to some practice reps. Yeah, I, I watched him very closely, you know, from, from here to Lance and, and Jacob on the field before the game. Um, he looked, you know, like he was operating 75% catching passes from Rob Moore, the wide receivers coach. So I thought, you know, you could see him in maybe back in some individual periods this week, maybe not at full speed, I thought. Um, I don't think he's playing in this, in this game uh, under any circumstances. Well, I, not play, I don't think he's playing, but not practicing. Is it ultimate? Are we going to look back on September and – point to him not getting work with Tannehill think, as a yeah. factor. I, I think, yeah. I mean, I, I don't see how you don't. Even the little bit that he was doing with them, Tannehill has talked about this. We work in the building. We talk through stuff. But for that first four or five days where he was doing some individual and then he was working with Tannehill and Brown on the finishing the top mm -hmm. of the routes and stuff, I just fear, and I think people should fear, you know, a pick six or, or an interception where there's a little bit of uncertainty from Tannehill or from Jones just because they haven't spent that much time together. And we have as a topic today, do, do Henry and Jones need to practice? For me, Henry not practicing, look, you could put any running back back there, right? I'm blocking the same way in front of the running back no matter what, right? So that Derrick Henry doesn't practice that much to me is not a big deal. Derrick Henry's going to be just fine when he hits the field. And I don't believe that. And it doesn't change the job that I'm doing in front of him. I also think he's going to ramp up practice now, right? I, Julio, wanna, I, I think Jones, he needs to play We don't Saturday. know about. We'll go back to him in a second. But Julio Jones is reliant on other people, and other people are reliant on Julio Jones. I agree. Clearly with the timing with Tannehill and with the bunch routes and with the rub routes and with things like that, he's – involved with more people in his basic job even a run blocking thing right he is 
interwoven more closely with other people. Whereas if the offensive line is blocking fine for McNichols or for Sargent or for whomever, and the offensive line isn't out there either, quite frankly, so he's not missing the front line blocking. That's fair. Um, he should be able to plug in and go. I agree he could, he could use some jostling and some, some bump-up stuff. But I think a running back not working, considering that we talk about the fact that Mike Vrabel's philosophy is to use him as much as they need to in the regular season. This is where they save somewhere and tear on Derrick Henry, not during the regular season. I'm not as concerned about that as I am Julio Jones. I ran Julio Jones a bigger concern. Yeah, well, I understand I, what you're saying. You need to get him out there. Well, and the fact that he was out there yesterday surprised me, and it was a pleasant surprise. I like what he had to say. He wanted to knock the rust off, and that's why I think four to six carries, you can laugh at this, I think that goes a long way in getting him ready for week one. Because when he said that, it reminded me of what Chad Withrow said after week one last year. The Titans went on the road at Denver. And they won 16 to 14. Oh, and Derrick Henry was terrible. And, and, and terrible in respect to what we're used to seeing from him as the season progresses. He had 31 carries against the Denver Broncos. And 26 of the 31 carries went for less than five yards. And Chad Withrow came in after that Monday night football game on Tuesday morning and said, Derrick Henry ran the football like Derrick Henry pre-Eddie George speech. And... I think that in large part was due to the fact that he didn't knock the rust off last preseason. He, he was 31 carries, by the way, is the second most carries he had in a game the entire year, second only to the game at Houston where he broke the record, where he had 250 yards, where they were gunning for that record for him for the 2,000-yard season. This, this I think, is, is not imperative. It's not crucial. But I think it do, does go a long way to just knocking the rust off, getting him some contact, and getting him ready for week one. And he is a traditionally slow starter. I yes, mean, I, we pointed I'm, that out in detail this offseason. Right, I'm, I, I'm concerned if he doesn't get some work uh, before the season, you know, for that reason. Not, not concerned overall for the season, because as long as he stays overall healthy, he'll be fine as the year goes on. But there is reason to be concerned about his early output if he's not, Hutton, as you've said many times, knocking the rust off. And getting ready for the season. And that's what he said. He, he starts slow. Uh, he's, he's done that almost every season. And I'm going to go on record right now and say it's officially time to freak out about Julio Jones. This is not good. There's no way that you can paint this as something not to worry about. I'm sorry. If I'm hearing 75%, Paul, from you and him in, in workouts and he hasn't practiced and he's a new guy on this team that they're going to rely on big time for output in the, in the passing game, this is not good. Well, th- there's another layer to this. And also, let's think it's about their recent Brown. free agent well, history for guys that needed to come in let's get into and that. make a huge impact. It's A.J. Brown, who we know is, is going to be ready, I mean, despite you know, the, the breaking news that he was going to be ready with yeah. his knee injury. I mean, Nobody he's, doubted He's going to be ready. Uh, and we know whenever he's on the field, he's going to produce. Julio Jones last year when he was on the field in Atlanta produced. He has a great rapport with Matt Ryan, and, or did, in, in Atlanta. That we know. Ten years. Josh Reynolds is not that good. He's not a number two receiver. And beyond that, they he's have not some, healthy. He, he's not healthy. And, and, and you, beyond that, you have depth guys. You have quality depth, but depth guys. Yeah, they're drop off from those guys. And you don't have Jonu Smith. 
So where is that production coming from? It's coming from Julio Jones, who's currently not practicing. And so it, it, it maybe, maybe the plan was, and the plan is, is likely to be during the regular season, not to practice him all that much. Not much. No. Manage his time wisely, which Vrabel will be very good at doing. But the, uh, to me, w- when I think of starters that need to be working with the, the offense right now, Julio's at the top of the list because of the rapport you want him to have with the new quarterback and the new offense. Yeah, I agree entirely. Uh, that, that was the big question coming in. You know, all this time with Matt Ryan, new quarterback, get on the same page, all of that. They were going to, even if he wasn't practicing, really practicing, get him out there enough to work on that stuff, and they've lost that. In terms of Henry getting some carries, he's got 15 days after this game. So, like, if he gets hit a couple times over a couple series, it's not like there's any worry about there's a bye week now between oh, this game yeah, right, and, right, right, and right. the starting game. So in terms of yeah, if this anybody were a fourth game, I wouldn't want him to play. Right. right. It's right. a totally different deal. I agree. It's the third game on the third game schedule, too, with no fourth game, with a bye week, 15 days until the opener. I agree with you. There's no reason not to put Henry out there. The only reason I could see that they might not put Henry out there is if the offensive line still can't be out there. Well, they all returned to practice yesterday. Right, and I think they're looking forward to getting those guys out there. But if they don't, if they decide that two or three of those guys aren't ready to go, and if Ben Jones and, and uh, one of the guards, if Ben Jones and Nate Davis can't go, uh, I'm not anxious for anybody to be playing behind Munyer, the, the replacement center who's been a turnstile uh, this, this preseason and is only out there because – Brewer's not back, and they haven't found a sufficient replacement. If Munyer's out there, I'm not anxious for Tannehill. I'm not anxious for Henry. I'm not anxious for, for anybody. And that's before I know Chicago's playing for their defense. Uh, Paul, if you can, pull up who has been spotted, who has not been spotted at practice. I know A.J. Brown is practicing today, uh, and many people are saying he's already putting on a show early in practice, which is great. Uh, that, that, that He's doing A.J. Brown things. Chad, you say you're concerned about Julio. Do you agree with me on the, the reps needed for Derrick Henry in the preseason? Absolutely. Yes. And I'm basing it off of what you said week yes. one. Let's, whatever, whatever that incubation, we're going back to an incubation period uh, with the virus we talked about earlier in my house. <laughs> whatever that incubation period is for Derrick Henry to not be rusty and to be Derrick Henry as the season goes on, let's speed that process up. Because this happens every year where he's a slower starter. And once the season gets going, and even in individual games, once games get going, he gets better and better as the game and the season yeah, wears I, on. I don't want to come across. So I think, I think just getting him some live reps yeah. could help speed that up a little bit to get in full Derrick Henry form quicker and earlier in the season. Yeah, and I, I think they have managed his, his preseason, his training camp well. Like, I, I – I don't disagree with how they've handled Henry in training camp, and I'm not trying to put out there I don't think Henry's going to to be bad this year because he didn't play in the preseason. I just it, we have we have detailed in previous shows, which you can go back on our YouTube page and see uh, how the passing game really carried this offense through the month of September as Henry warmed up to the season, and I think there is something to what he said yesterday about getting back to practice. Uh, with with some of the 11 on 11 and the team drills that we saw and getting you know, a handful of reps, a handful of carries in Saturday's game against Chicago to where at least you get the pads popping and he hasn't been tackled in a live drill um, since since January. 
uh, except for the, the one practice at Nissan Stadium with no pads. They were just wearing jerseys and helmets. David Long, I think it was, came in and knocked him down. <laughs> I just I looked at him like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Henry even was, got up, and, and Henry went to the sideline after that. I think they just told him to go yeah, watch does, the rest of practice. How does this happen? Positive, just that one moment said, you go hit the showers. Your, your day here is done. A positive test out of Tampa Bay, vaccinated Ryan Suckup has tested positive. He'll miss Saturday's game in Houston. You wonder if that could be connected to Vrabel or not. Uh, I would expect they greeted greeted each other at least. I I don't think they spent – I'm certain they didn't spend 15 minutes together. But, you know, it doesn't take 15 minutes to transmit the virus, though that's the contact period that – they advise against. We probably need a, um, a lawyer on to discuss this, and I'm sure there's something in the CBA that prohibits it. But with the FDA officially legitimizing the Pfizer vaccine yesterday, right? Yeah, they approved it. The, they've, they've approved it full go, I think 15 or 16 and up, uh, to get the Pfizer vaccine. There have been businesses that are now mandating, Delta Airlines was one, some big businesses, uh, the United States military mm-hmm. is another one that as of yesterday, you have to get it to be in there. Could a league do that or would it just be in total violation of the CBA? Yeah, they won't, they won't do it because the, these rules the CBA are collectively fight bar- bargained. I right. mean, that, what they've agreed to is their protocol right now. Well, and I, I'm just, you know, I, I know I get the incentive also of like college football, you know, for coaches and everyone to encourage their players to get vaccinated because they want to play more than anything else, and it helps to make sure they're not going to forfeit a game and lose money and lose a game and all of that. Um, I, I'm, I was curious, though, if you're going to see more mandates of, of the virus or of the vaccine now that it's been officially approved. So it's Suckup, who's already, they've already declared him out in Houston, but he could test out in 48 hours, right? Two negative tests in 48 hours for somebody who's vaccinated, yeah. And so it's a road way. trip which probably factors into why he's not playing. I mean, they're, they're probably just saying, hey, join us next week at this point. Yeah. I, I guess they kept their second kicker on the roster as well. Or they have a kickoff guy uh, also. By the way, I saw the strangest report that uh, Ryan Santoso, was it? That there's trade interest in Ryan Santoso from the Giants. The guy who was oh, the really? Titans kickoff the specialist. The kickoff specialist. Who couldn't get touchbacks. <laughs> he was here to get touchbacks. He couldn't get touchbacks. He's the Giants' second kicker, and there's, there's some trade interest in him, uh, allegedly. Uh, Des Fitzpatrick is out at practice. He was initially uh, – it was initially put out there that he was not out at yeah, practice Yeah, that today. early report. I don't know why Johnny does the early uh, – Was it Glennon? The er- he does a initially not spotted, but then there's kind of like sometimes a second wave of people coming out. So it's just better, I think, to, to wait. Uh, let's see. Reynolds – who else did he put on here? No Chester Rogers, Crookshank, Evans, Brady Breeze, Chris Jackson, Jeremy McNichols. I mean, when is Crookshank ever available? He's unbelievable. He's a side-field warrior is, is what Dane Crookshank is. Ferkser, Murchison, Zubnar, Herring, Pico. I hope Pico's all right. They're all out. Because that guy, yeah, uh, is, is, I think, on the roster as the last defensive lineman right now. And it would be a shame if, uh, who was it, Tevin Coley um, and then Pico, you know, you would lose your, your fifth and your sixth guy conceivably to create, uh, go all the way down to seven. Um, backup offensive lineman, Paul, 
how would you stagger that? We know Raidens is going to be their swing guy to begin the season. That's evident based on his usage in the preseason and how many positions he's playing. Uh, beyond that, Kendall Lamb or Sam Brylo will get the start at right tackle, so the other one's a backup. And Sam Brylo can play both sides. Quesenberry, too. And so Quesenberry's another backup. So those are three, and I would think Brewer, though we have no idea Brewer could land on IR before the cut to 53 based on the fact that we haven't heard a peep about him. Those would be the four guys that I would consider if they're keeping nine. They could keep eight. Des Fitzpatrick clearly on the bubble right now as a fourth-round pick. Yeah, I've got him ninth. On, on the receiver list. And I wrote today, I, I don't think it's that big a deal to cut him. Obviously, it's disappointing if you're cutting a fourth-round pick that you, you did. Oh, yeah. But a lot of people are like, oh, he'll get claimed, he'll get claimed. I mean, he's been very disappointing. He caught a touchdown pass and did a couple nice things in Tampa Bay. But this idea that, that cut guys get claimed is... No, I think he would, though. Because a fourth-round pick's going to have plenty of eyeballs on him in the draft process... And not everybody has the depth of receiver the Tennessee Titans have. We, we, the Titans fans should know the depth of receiver in past years. There, there will be teams like that that see a fourth-round pick where maybe, they had, maybe the team that sees him had a fifth-round grade on him. They didn't want to take him high. And they're like, oh, you know what? Let's bring him in. Let's, let's work him out. Let's, let's see what we have. If you claim him, you have to keep him keep on your active roster weeks. for three weeks. But that may be worth it to a team that's only about three or four deep at the position. Maybe. Uh, look, I think two things are possible. I, I think he could very well clear waivers because I, I don't think there's, th- there's that much cause to be excited about him. Now, he was overdrafted, and maybe you had him as a, as a fifth-rounder and you like him and stuff. Have to be the right team, though, who liked them with room yes, on their yes. receiver thing, right. who didn't find other solutions, right? He's not a big help on special teams, I don't think. Seems a little bit soft. Uh, you know, He's he got yelled tentative. at in Tampa Bay a couple times that it was a wasted snap when very he was tentative. on the field. All right. So if he doesn't get claimed, you can get him on the practice squad. If he does get claimed, you've kept better guys, you know, so you've lost a project, but you've kept better guys. I, I feel wonder, the same though, way about Racy McMath. Like, are you really worried about Racy McMath getting claimed? Is somebody desperate for a gunner? If they're desperate no. for a gunner, go ahead and claim the gunner. You can find gunners. I, I agree with that part. I, I think from a Titans perspective, with the way Fitzpatrick played last week, if he shows up against Chicago and has two games where he produces points on the board or, or just production, maybe you think that the pilot light has been flipped on in some way, and you think, okay, there's the guy we drafted. Now it's time to invest in him a I bit think longer. Nick Westbrook Aquina is a better wide receiver right now than Des Fitzpatrick is. So how much are you playing long term and whatever? And they like Nick Westbrook Aquina long term, not as a second, not as a third, but certainly as a, as a depth guy. He'll go get the ball. He's more athletic. I feel like certainly more aggressive and tougher and fits in kind of with what they're doing. Where Dez doesn't feel like that to me. I think um, uh, Kinsey, you know, is is a step too slow and he's a couple inches too short. But the guy's consistently in the right place, making plays. I think he's on the outside looking in, and he's better than Fitzpatrick. Philosophical question for you guys. Um, I think special teams are important. I'm not someone downplaying special teams, but the idea that well, he's really good on special teams that pops up all the time with these backups at the end of the roster, that he better be good on special teams. I believe in football, 
it, you have to be exceptionally bad at something not to be okay on special teams. If you are a football player and a good athlete that's capable of making the back end of an NFL roster, you are especially inept at something if you can't also contribute on special teams. So I think we make a little bit too much out of, well, he can also play special teams. Well, there's a physicality aspect to it. There's also, you're only keeping 48 up on game day. And if you're keeping five wide receivers active, the fifth better have special teams capabilities or you're, he's not worth keeping on your I roster. I totally agree. I say that to say that don't. there are plenty of guys out there. For your okay. Racy McMath example, if you are a football player that is physical and you are athletic, you're, if you're capable of making a fifth receiver spot in the NFL, I'm going to guess that 85 to 90% of those receivers are also capable of contributing on special teams. Yeah, and what's the gap? You have between? to be exceptionally bad at something to possess that athleticism and that ability and then be terrible on special teams. Well, uh, it also could be the fault of your college. You know, if you were at college and you were a premier wide receiver, they didn't ask you to play special teams. So for four years, you didn't get this experience that the guys are competing against. But the colleges that take special teams the most serious, like Urban Meyer throughout his career, play their starters on special teams. They play their starters and their best athletes on special teams because they want to be exceptional on special teams. Frank Beamer did this at Virginia Tech. That's why they block so many kicks. But not everybody It's because he put his best players there. But my point is, if you're the best player on your college team, even if you didn't play special teams, you can be taught how to play special teams because you are a superior athlete. I, I think there's some credence to that. But, like, Chris Jackson's going to be one of the gunners. How much distance is there between Chris Jackson and Racy McMath? You know, I think people have gotten really carried away with the Racy McMath is going to be, like, the all-time gunner. Well, that's He'd what he did. He gunner. was very good at yeah. LSU. And he could be a good gunner. But I don't think his value as a gunner outweighs the fact that he played only special teams in preseason week two and he didn't play any receiver. Like, we're talking about you need to add on the value of being a special teamer. Well, you've got to be able to play receiver also. You know, I, I don't think one of these receivers can be on the roster as purely a special teamer the way somebody like maybe Matthias Farley can be on the roster because he's going to be on every special teams unit or Ola can be on. And Ola, by the way, has shown some things as a pass rusher. I think he can play some, some outside linebacker if you, if you need him. He's been more of a defensive football player than I think most people expected. Hit us up on Twitter, at OutKick360. You can also join the YouTube chat. Just search out OutKick360 and subscribe to the channel. Coming up, Chad, we get into Tennesseans that are crucial to UT's on-field success for the football program. That is straight ahead on OutKick360. Outkick 360, we are live from the 6th and Peabody Studios in downtown Nashville alongside Chad Withrow and Paul Koharski. I'm Jonathan Hutton. If you're listening to this post-show on the podcast, we appreciate that. We hope you will rate, review, and subscribe. Shout out to Yeehaw Brewery and Old Smoky Distillery for hosting us each and every day right here at 6th and Peabody. Chad, uh, we are headed a week from Thursday down to Knoxville or over to Knoxville as we kick off the college football season it's here and it's time for the tailgate with OutKick and OutKick 360. Yes it is football season has arrived crazy yes crazy it's been a a crazy off season for sure and we're going to be in Knoxville next Thursday night September 2nd we're going to be at Uptown Bar and Grill that Thursday getting you ready for Tennessee Bowling Green remember the new time of the show 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern time 
Game kicks off at 8 o'clock Eastern time. We'll get you ready. We'll be live from Uptown Bar and Grill. And then after the game, there will be an OutKick after party. We've got merchandise, live music, VIP areas, chance for some free food and drink as well. You can party with Lance and Jakob. That's right. It's going to be, uh, and you, trust me, you'll <laughs> never forget partying with Lance and Jakob. It's going to be a big night, so come join us if you're going to the game Uptown, in Knoxville. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uptown Bar and Grill will be Cobra East for, for Jakob Swanson. We, uh, it's it's going to have the spirit of Cobra mixed with the pageantry of college football. It's the really the perfect cocktail for fun, and that's what Jacob's always looking Fear for. Fear and loathing in Knoxville. A lot of pageantry at Cobra also, though. They really oh, appreciate pageantry. Ab- absolutely. Uh, we need some Tennessean pageantry for the University of Tennessee. Chad, yeah, you put together a list of Tennesseans on the UT roster that are crucial to the Vols' success. I'm, I'm eager to see how many players you're listing. So I was a little slice of life here. I was rushing to send out a text as we're coming back on air. Yeah. I'm just going to tell you guys what's going through Go my head right now. And I sent out a group text, and I sent it to the wrong mark. It's about something next week in Knoxville. No, I sent a group text. I sent it to the right person on one end. I tried to send it to two people. And I sent it to some mark that I don't know who it is on the other one. What's he saying? And it contains sensitive info (laughs) about the show. So to Mark, I'm going to call you Mark P. Because that's what your last name starts with. I'm sorry that I just sent you a text. Uh, with sensitive Can info. Can you adjust with that I'm, info? I'm trying, no, I'm trying to quickly, like, uh, you can't delete the text it's sent, but then send it to the right person. So mentally, that's where I'm at right now. And we can't break at this point. This is a live show. So what I'm going to do right now is roll out the graphic that we put together <laughs> with Dylan Taylor and just go it's right chaos. into it. Chaos. Yes, this is really weighing on my head right now. But uh, we're going we're gonna to push through. Like, like we do on this show. Like Jacob does when he goes to Cobra and he's yeah. losing in darts, he pushes through, I, and that's what we're going to do. The, the only request I have on this graphic is that Paul reads name number two in the city, but that's, that's the only request I have. Yeah, so if Tennessee is going to do anything more than what they're expected to do this year, and they are not expected to do much from a football standpoint, I have highlighted some actual Tennesseans that are going to have a big hand in whatever success they have. Here's something that, you know, we talk a lot about in-state recruiting and how Tennessee needs to go get guys in-state that they want and take them from bigger programs. Believe it or not, Tennessee, especially with upperclassmen, they got some dudes that have played a lot of football. And if they're going to reach any type of expectation or, or surpass that expectation, it's going to take some of these guys. I want to start with a young guy in Jabari Small, who is going to be the starting running back for Tennessee. A misnomer about a Josh Heupel offense is that it's pass happy. They are play happy. They're going to play fast. They're going to run a lot of plays. But typically, they're going to run more than they pass. Jabari Small, good receiver out of the backfield, uh, showed some promise as a freshman, 26 carries, 117 yards, didn't do a lot, but played in all 10 games as a true freshman and averaged eight yards per carry against Vandy. He's going to have to be big. Uh, on defense, Latrell Bumpus, who is from Savannah, and we're going to Savannah. There you go, Paul's. Go ahead. What, what do they eat? There? There's a murder. There's murder in Savannah, where we eat the marmalade toast. Chat, please. <laughs> <laughs> so bad. I love it. I love it every time. 
Uh, Latrell we gotta Bumpus. get you guys mic'd back there. We, got, we need uh, we need more of an emphasis on the accent, though, Paul. You were I don't feel like There's you were fully. There's a murder in Savannah. <laughs> You're doing Mom something with your mouth you've never done with the yes, accent before. I can't quite find it. It's like when you've lock. lost. It's like when you've lost your. Uh, your uh, Andrew, Andrew Lock. Lock. Uh, Andrew Lock. Lock in it's that, tough, please, it's yes. tough. To, it's tough to bring it back. You almost have to leave the room and go yeah. practice in a mirror, yeah. and then eventually it comes. I just back. have to do my spurrier to get, get to get going. Pitch and catch, pitch and catch. These the non-southern uh, producers on the show love Paul's southern accent. David Reed, on the other hand, is not as big of a fan David, of that David, southern David, accent David, when he hears it. David, give me a salute over there. Yeah. Um, Latrell Bumpus, <laughs> back to our <laughs> back to our list of Tennesseans need to step up for the Vols. So he got hurt halfway through the season last year. He got hurt in warm-ups against Arkansas at the midway point of the season. But in 2019, 23 tackles, six tackles for loss, big-time contributor, and he is a fifth-year player yes. for Tennessee. I, Needs to be big. I would circle him first. Defensive line-wise for Tennessee, there's some strength there. They got some super seniors, as they're calling them now, the guys who took the COVID year to come back. They've got fifth-year guys. They've got guys who played a lot of football in the SEC. That should be a strength for Tennessee. Speaking of the defensive line, Tyler Barron is where I'm going to go next. From Knoxville, as a freshman, he had 21 tackles, three tackles for loss, and a sack. They need him to be a difference maker rushing the passer for this defense to, to do much this year. Tyler Barron is big. Theo Jackson, Doug Matthews, our, our good friend, loved Theo Jackson when he was at Overton High School in Nashville. Liked him throughout his career. He's been okay as a player at Tennessee. He's also a super senior in his fifth year who's played yeah, a time. ton. 44 starts at Tennessee for Theo Jackson. He can play safety. He can play corner. He can play nickel. He's a versatile guy. 112 tackles, three tackles for loss, two interceptions. Needs to be at his best this year. This needs to be a breakthrough year for him as a super senior. And oh, by the way, right now he's returning punts for Tennessee. Something he has not done since high school, uh, but he may be Tennessee's punt returner. Something to watch. Back to offense. I'm going to go with the Mays brothers, Cade and Cooper. And I'm going to put an emphasis on Cooper Mays. We know what Cade brings to the table. He's an NFL player. He's a five-star prospect. He was really good at Georgia. He was okay a year ago at Tennessee. He's moving out to right tackle now. I think that's a good spot for him in this offense. More of a mauler, less of a pass protector at right tackle. But I think you know what you're going to get with Cade Mays, if healthy. Cooper Mays in the center position in Josh Heupel's offense is big because that is a position, that is the quarterback of your offensive line, and you're snapping the ball quickly. You need a guy that is really good at snapping, not going to have a lot of mishaps with timing, mobile, can move around. There's going to be a lot of things happening in the screen game. Cooper Mays was a terrific player at Knoxville Catholic, much like his older brother, and he's going to be big for Tennessee. And then uh, Javante Payton, uh, I saw him a couple of times, Chad, here in the Mid-State. I, I, I like that you put him on here along with Theo Jackson. Uh, for, for those that are watching right here in the Mid-State, they can really impact this roster. And Payton, uh, from an athleticism standpoint, it's time to bring it. Payton, 19 receptions for 225 yards a year ago and a touchdown. If you remember... Got off to a big start. That Mike Leach first game at LSU where they shocked everyone and went in there and won going away. Mm -hmm. He had six receptions for 124 yards and a touchdown in that game against LSU. Did not do much the rest of the way. But to be fair, 
No one on Mississippi State's offense did much the rest of the way after that first game against LSU. That was a big-time anomaly last year. They struggled the rest of the way. Big play guy, 16.3 yards per reception in 2019, led Mississippi State. This is an offense that's going to throw the ball deep, especially if Joe Milton's playing quarterback, and we should which mention, thinks that he will. He's had a good camp. He's had a really good camp, and he is a deep threat for a Tennessee offense that, that needs one. They've got some good talent. At receiver, Jalen Hyatt, Javante Payton, both can stretch the field. Velas Jones Jr. can do a little bit of everything for them. I think it's an underrated wide receiver group at Tennessee. And if I'm looking at the most underrated addition this, this year, it may be Javante Payton, who I think needs to make some big plays for Tennessee, and I think he will in this offense. Well, we know the top two receivers. The question is, beyond that, where's their depth? And Payton can provide that and more. He could be – he could be – what, the uh, second leading receiver on this team? And look, I'm looking just at Tennesseans. Am I exaggerating that too much? With this, no, not at all. And I'm looking just at Tennesseans with this group of players that need to step up if Tennessee's going to exceed expectations. But a, a consistent theme, just like Tennessee got gutted in the transfer market, speaking of Tennesseans, Eric Gray, Key Lawrence, both go to Oklahoma. Oklahoma. They would have been huge players yeah. in this, in the, on this Tennessee team. Uh, they're gone, but adding guys that have a lot of experience, that's older. Javante Payton, one from Mississippi State. I'll go on defense, a guy not from the state of Tennessee, but Jawan Mitchell, who I know Tim Banks spoke to the media today, t- uh, Tennessee defensive coordinator, and talked about him. That's a guy who's got to be ready to go and ready to be a team leader in tackles day one. You've got seven guys on this list. Correct. Two years from now, if the new coach is on track – how many guys should be on this list? Well, two years from now, so Not, three, three of saying, them. I, I, I'm recruits. saying how many key guys on the team should be from Tennessee. Oh, oh. Well, and look, there are more that are going to contribute from the state of Tennessee. I don't know, Paul, that there's a percentage or a number. I, I just know that if you're going to be successful at Tennessee, you need a stronger list than this. Of guys from a talent standpoint. And that's not knocking these guys. Theo Jackson has a chance to be a pretty good SEC player. That's about it. He's not going to be a star. Jabari Small has a chance to really exceed expectations. We've seen this at Tennessee and other places. Jabari Small was an add-on. They were going after Omari Thomas, who's yet to really play at Tennessee, who who is going to play some this year. And he was a teammate at Briarcrest. That was an add-on. It was, a, it was a group decision for them to go. And Jabari Small may end up being a much better player. I think about Denarius Moore, who went on to a good NFL career, and Lennon Creer. Lennon Creer was a five-star <laughs> running Creer. back yeah. from the same high school in Texas. His best buddy was Denarius Moore. Tennessee, is a, a, a pity offer, gave Denarius Moore an offer to join his buddy because it was a package deal, and Denarius Moore was the star. And Lennon Creer did nothing in Knoxville. Maybe it's the same with Jabari Small. But I think Amari Thomas is, is going to be a good player for Tennessee. Um, look, if Tennessee's going to be – if they're going to reach expectations under Josh Heupel, Jabari Small, Tyler Barron, those are two names I'm going to point to that two years from now, they need to be stars because those are the young guys they're going to be relying on from the state. Coming up with some other headlines, we've got the Outkick 360 parlay and PKC's double. We'll explain straight ahead. Outkick 360 rolls on. 
Yes, time to make it rain. We do this daily from 6th and Peabody and with FanDuel.com slash OK360. FanDuel.com, first-time users, up to $1,000 risk-free bet. FanDuel.com slash OK360. The parlay moves to PK, where it's simple, it's to the point. If you're a Braves fan, it gives you a reason to watch the game tonight. You won't be rooting necessarily for the Braves because Paul's going Yankees and for good reason. Have you already purchased your World Series championship shirt? <laughs> uh, not the shirt. I'm not a big shirt guy. I'm a big ticket guy. If the Yankees are in the World Series, I must be there. This is a mission in life. Two years Maybe ago, it'll be a short drive down to Atlanta for that World Series ago, matchup uh, for these two teams. Well, God knows it's not hard for a Yankee fan to get a ticket in Atlanta, so that won't be a, a, a big problem. Yeah. Uh, my mission in life is to take my kid to a Yankee World Series game and to a Springsteen concert. So, Well, let's treat tonight like the World Series with our parlay. Listen, Yankees are winning this game on the money line, and Jorge Soler, Soler uh, the uh, outfielder for the Braves, will hit a home run. Here's why. Heaney, the Yankees pitcher, gives up home runs like crazy, gives them out like candy. Solo shots, mostly. Last start, he avoided this. He's due. This is the guy most likely in the odds to hit a home run, and this is a nice payoff. Plus 713, $5, wins you 40 Solaire in the air. It's gone. Oh, yeah. I, I'm guessing, I'm looking it up right now, but because I saw the same thing, Paul, that it was like plus 200. Yes. For a home run, which is insane good odds for someone to hit a there home run. There has to be a, a history. Yes. There must be a history with him. Well, this guy gives Heaney. up a lot of home runs, and he's probably given up some to Jorge. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have the history <laughs> here very soon between these two. Uh, Paul, it, this was uh, sent to me yesterday, and I passed it along to the guys. Um, normally, you, you bring great topics and behind-the-scenes embarrassing moments to the show. You failed to mention that you misidentified Makai Sargent as Elijah Molden on Saturday yeah, night. Why did you, how did you fail to mention this yeah. to us, Paul? Listen, some, there's a degree of willingness to embarrass yourself, and then there's a line after which maybe you might think I, you can I get away with I feel like any other reporter that did this would be dead to you. Uh, yeah, probably. <laughs> uh, look, it was explain yourself. It was like a terrible I, moment. I'm I, letting I, you explain what happened. I, I wasn't even thinking. I know what Elijah Molden looks like, but for some reason in the moment, I was anxious to get a question to Molden. I was anxious to do reporting on Molden. I wasn't at Hold all. Hold on, this was the first question in Sergeant. Yeah, first question he asked Makai Sergeant about the sack where he split two offensive linemen. Uh, here, here are the side by side shots of Makai Sergeant yeah, and Elijah identical. Molden. Look at him. Uh, like, Makai Sergeant's like on the brothers. right. Elijah Molden on the left. That's a terrible picture of Sergeant. That's Makai Sargent. That is Sargent. That's exactly the video yeah, that, that is, I watched. That is his bio that picture looks exactly at TennesseeTitans.com. Uh, uh, terrible, terrible photograph. No, it was a terrible, uh, terrible faux pas. I joked with him when he got up. I was like, hey, if you start playing some defense, uh, maybe I could talk to you more about some of those sack opportunities and stuff. And then uh, when Molden finished at the, at the, at the podium, Robbie Bourne, the PR director, said, uh, Paul, this is Elijah Molden. Do you, want, <laughs> you, you want a chance to introduce yourself? And so, look, I'm the I, first I guy to laugh at myself for doing something stupid. This was incredibly stupid. I laughed at myself. Uh, and, you know, that it comes up here, I'll laugh at myself. Stupid, 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 stupid. Uh, I think that we, what we need, Paul, is to move past mm -hmm. you and your willingness to call yourself stupid, which you will do, and maybe move into an area of, um, I don't know, some empathy towards people in media that screw up instead of you just admitting that they're dead to you 
when they do something like this and understand that you too make mistakes like this? I think I'm in a place where if somebody I didn't hate did that, I would have been empathetic. But the problem is, even if you don't know someone, you would then hate them for doing this. I hate fewer people in the media core than I used to. But again, again, it's one thing if if you hate someone already and they do it and you hate them further. You would use this as a reason to hate them because this is your first impression. Well, here's what I hate, uh, if I may uh, convert the thing. Like, there's one person tweeting freely as if he was in Tampa Bay all week. Now, he wouldn't have known if it was Makai Sargent or Caleb or, uh, or Elijah Molden because he couldn't see them because he wasn't in the room. Well, that makes it even worse for you because you were. I was yeah. in the room. You were there. And you, you still could physically see them. see them. I could physically see them. But this Terry also, McCormick, we, stop tweeting like your no, places. No, don't make this about Terry, places. your fellow Yankees fan. This, this is about yeah, you. You both will be rooting on the Yankees against the Braves tonight. Don't bring him into this. <laughs> Paul. <laughs> I'll be too. We joke about Vrabel's insistence on giving Teresa Walker the first question every time. And now you pull this with the first question. And I'm, my first thought, and David Reed said the same thing, was where was Teresa Walker to save you with that first question? Because I don't think she's ever done this. She doesn't ask the first question. Paul needed someone to say, Makai. the first question of... Uh, they needed someone to acknowledge that. Well, the Mekhi best thing about the video is when he said he saw my windup coming and he was, he was trying to, like, gesture to me. But I was, well, it was I'm best when he said, uh, the sack? Yeah. Makai Sarge just kind of looked at you yeah. smiling like, sorry, sack? Yeah, I, I didn't catch you do realize I play offense, right? Oh, it, it, it's it a classic a, PK moment that he moment. failed to bring up. He's, he's brought up some embarrassing moments in the past, yeah. and he did so today to begin the show. Let's go back to my Let this be a lesson that Hud and I have little birdies everywhere. Yes. <laughs> we yes. always, we're going to get the info somehow, some way. Let's go back to my unisex socks that were such a subject of hilarity. <laughs> I, I do want to go oh, back to our... Oh, this is a subject of hilarity, too, <laughs> I, I do want to go back to our, our topic to begin the hour uh, with Julio Jones. He's dressed for practice, but not practicing. He's running sprints today. Yeah. Well, is look, that a step in the right direction? Yes. I mean, a guy's on the actual field in an actual uniform doing a football activity. Running is a football well, activity. Wasn't he running on the side field yesterday? Uh, yes. Yeah, I don't think. And by the way, I wasn't you. there. If it's out there, I'm going to say it every no, day. I'm going to say, say it. I'm not saying you shouldn't say it. I'm saying the person who said it should be in trouble. I doubt they are, but they're breaking the protocol. You're not supposed to report side field stuff. Um, but look, look, if he's out there yesterday running and he's out there today in uniform running, it's not the kind of progress we all want, but it is forward progress. So it's something. Well, here's hoping that he gets uh, some. Maybe some tomorrow progress somebody on will throw field. him a pass. Possibly. How many passes do we think Tannehill has actually thrown to Julio Jones in camp? Uh, Thirty. I'm not a good estimator 50? of uh, of. Because, uh, but I mean, we, how, he was on the field for three days. Four days. I think he got hurt the fourth day, in the first. Uh, and I'm counting like the period. off the non the after practice work with AJ and Julio, like all that. Like, yeah. it's it's it a very be, small you know, number of passes yeah. that we've seen. 50 to 75. Now, they have walks in the afternoon that are closed, and maybe they were doing, you know, walk-type passes there that count for something, you know, half a pass per pass or something like that. I, I don't know. It's, uh, it's interesting. I, I, hopefully he can amp it up now, and they're still, like we're saying, so. it's two and a half weeks left. You can do enough work in two and a half weeks as two veteran guys, I think, to get – Closer to the same page, where maybe when you're not on the same page, it's not going to be a deadly mistake. It's hard not. It's re- I, I, I try not to read into the preseason. 
Um, it's, it's two, two examples. It's hard not to read into how bad the Jags looked last night. And it's also hard not to read into Julio not being available when all of these old vets in Tampa Bay practice both days. Yeah. It, it's hard not to read into that, that he's injured. Well, uh, that Julio's injured? Yes. Oh, he's injured. I mean, there's no doubt he's injured. He landed badly. But I think, I think it's been swept under the rug like, oh, he'll be fine. Yeah. He, he'll, be, he'll be available week one. And I don't think you just snap your fingers and everything's glorious. No, absolutely not. I mean, for a guy that's coming off the injury season that he had last year uh, to then, you know, have a bad landing in your first team period of camp and disappear yeah. for as many weeks I, as he's disappeared, it's a concern. I, I'm officially uh, Go ahead. Uh, uh, nervous. Signing the, I'm signaling the alarm for freakout mode. He'll be practicing tomorrow. Uh, with, with Julio Jones. Uh, I'll also say this, and this is a topic for tomorrow. Uh, how certain are we about Taylor Lewan in his surgically repaired knee? I'm certain. We can get into that Let's for do sure. It. That is uh, tomorrow. That's tomorrow on Outkick Three Hundred and Sixty. Tomorrow, Paul have... asks Elijah Molden a question, not Makai Sargent. Also, that's also going to happen tomorrow. We will have primary complaint tomorrow. Tennessee Power Hour will be jam packed and much, much more. You can email your complaint three hundred and sixty at outkick.com. Uh, shout out six in the Peabody Studios. Uh, love being here. Quick reminder: on Monday we move time slots two to five p.m. Central, three to six Eastern. But we're back tomorrow noon Eastern, eleven a.m. Central across the Outkick Network. Don't block the box. Do lock the locks, and that's all I've got to say about that. Hey, it's Jonathan Hutton. Thanks for listening to Outkick 360. Be sure to subscribe to the show to have the latest podcast delivered to you each and every day. And give us five stars. It helps us grow our network and provide you with more great podcasts like this one.